Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. So glad you could join us today. Remember when you walked outside in June and the sun was smoldering red in a hazy, smoky sky? Maybe your eyes started to itch. Maybe you started to cough a little bit. All of that was because of smoke and pollution in the air from wildfires burning a thousand miles away in Canada. Fires made more fierce by drought and climate warming. Minnesota has experienced its worst air quality on record this year. We've had 24 days this year when the air was polluted enough to be considered either unsafe for everyone or unsafe for vulnerable groups. There was even that one day when the Twin Cities metro area had the worst air quality in the country. And it is likely we'll have more hot summer days with smoky skies over the next decades. So today we're going to talk about poor air quality, exactly what makes our air bad for us. How does it affect our overall health and not just our lungs? And how can we cope with air pollution as individuals and communities? As I talk with my guests today, I want to hear from you. The phone lines are open. I want to know more about those days in June when you walked out your door, the air quality was bad. Were you on a walk? Were you out on a bike ride? Were you working? How did the smoke affect your health? both physically and mentally? What changes did you make in your routines to cope with it? Call us at 651-227-6000. Again, you can call 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828. I want to hear your stories and your questions as well. Let's bring in our guests in the studio with me this morning. I have Dr. Lalita Surupanani, an assistant professor of internal medicine at the University of Minnesota Medical School. She sees hospital inpatients at M Health Fairview, and she also co-chairs the U of M's Climate Health Action Program within the Department of Medicine and is an associate at the U of M's Institute on the Environment. Dr. Surapanani, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and coming in this morning. Thank you so much for having me here. Also, we have, joining us remotely, from Duluth, Jamie Beck-Alexander. Jamie is a climate activist and founding director of Drawdown Labs. That's a national nonprofit that works with corporations on how to take action on climate change. Jamie has a personal story about wildfire smoke. She lived in San Francisco with her husband and two children until wildfire smoke in the summer of 2020 convinced them to leave and move here. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Hi. Eager to learn more about your move to Minnesota. Thank you for your time. And later in the hour, I want you to know we will be hearing from a meteorologist and a supervisor of the team at the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, which issues those air quality alerts and forecasts. But first, Jamie, uh, remind us what was happening in June that made our skies so smoky. Uh, Describe what was happening here. Right. Well, unprecedented, um, you know, wildfires happening in Canada, um, as you know, and they're they're still going on, burning sort of out of control. Um, and the the winds sort of you know shifted that all of that smoke from um, from those wildfires down into our region. We saw that happen, you know, on the east coast when New York had, you know, had had incredibly um, hazardous air quality, and then we saw that here across across the state of Minnesota. And so that's, you know, th- those wildfires are, you know, happening more and more because of climate change, because of the droughts that we're experiencing in the Canadian um, uh, forests and um, 
and again, you know, the, that, that wildfire smoke does not remain, you know, knows no borders. So that, mm-hmm. that wildfire smoke does not stay in Canada. Uh, you know, it wafts across, across around the world because the, the planet is one interconnected system. Describe, uh, Jamie, what it looked like and felt like uh, there for you in Duluth. What did you experience during those days? Well, you know, kind of the telltale sign is, um, which is sort of ironic, but you sort of see this kind of brilliant, like almost beautiful, unusual sun, um, which is, you know, reddish color. And um, and then just sort of that, that haze that ha- seems to hang over everything. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, particulate matter can either be kind of higher in the atmosphere and not affect our air quality so much down closer to the ground. Um, and that's when you really... You know, we don't we, you don't see such hazardous air quality at the ground, but you can really see it up high in the sky. Um, and then with different and you'll hear, uh, you, you know, meteorologists would be able to describe this much better than I would. But then we also, you know, then can see that that smoke come down to the ground and that's where it starts to affect our air quality levels. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where you'll you know, you'll feel the, the, the effects of that in your respiratory system um, and and especially those who are, you know, kind of. So more susceptible than others, but everyone, um, everyone will feel the, you know, feel feels the effects in some level. And and also mentally, it's just it's creepy and concerning, right? Absolutely. I mean, this is not. Um, I think you heard uh, just a few minutes ago. This wasn't a slow, gradual transition, right? Nobody. We we we. It seems very sudden that all of a sudden everyone knows what you know, where where to look for air quality, you know, in, in the morning to figure out what, what the AQI is in the air. This was not a gradual um, transition to, mm-hmm. to now this new reality, but it does feel like it's eerie. It feels like, you know, kind of inescapable. Like this is our air outside when it's hot. And, you know, up in Duluth, we don't have, a lot of homes don't have air conditioners. And so when, you know, when you have horrible, when you have bad air quality outside and it's hot, you know, you want to open your windows. But it, And so it's very disconcerting to feel like the air around us is not safe, not, safe. not healthy mm-hmm. to breathe. All right. Uh, Dr. Surapanini, uh, you uh, work as a doctor who sees patients who've been admitted to the hospital for various reasons. Uh, tell us what you saw happen when the wildfire smoke was really bad here in the Twin Cities in June. Uh, tell me about the people who came to the hospital for help. Yeah, uh, we know that people who have underlying heart and lung diseases are most impacted. So um, I'll tell you about one of my patients that I took care of. Um, He was a young gentleman who had underlying lung disease. And, you know, when the wildfire um, smoke was very heavy, he knew what to do. He knew, you know, his doctors had talked to him. So he was checking his air quality, trying to limit his time outdoors. He still um, had to work outdoors because that was his Mm. job. And so he was wearing his N95. um, and, you know, kind of went through the first couple of days at home. He also had an air filter. So really, he was following all of the instructions. And despite that, you know, trying to take medications, extra doses, trying to stay at home, he was really short of breath. And he was trying to make do, but ultimately ended up coming into the hospital. So this what did you do to help him? Yeah, I mean, we uh, gave um, treatment that would include IV medications as well as nebulizers to help his lungs and ease his breathing. But, you know, that hospital stay that we were really trying to avoid 
ultimately we were not able to. And I think this is one of mm. the really important reasons uh, why climate change is a health equity issue. Uh, we always talk about climate adaptation and what we can do to protect ourselves, but that goes only so far. And when that gives, you know, who fall through are vulnerable people who include children, elderly, uh, those with underlying diseases, communities of color. And so this is a very at the end of the day, climate change is a health equity issue. And I remember seeing so many people uh, posting photos online. Uh, maybe they were out for a walk, walking the dog, or doing uh, their daily run, or bike riding, which is extremely popular here, and they were feeling the effects. So did some of those folks end up in the hospital as well? Yeah, no, we haven't seen, uh, I personally haven't seen anyone who was healthy who ended up in the hospital. Uh, we know that you can have headaches, you know, runny nose, sore throat. Kids are especially affected by uh, smoke because, you know, they're lungs are still developing, their immune systems are not as strong. And because they uh, they breathe more number of times, they take in a lot more pollution. And so kids are especially vulnerable. And we talk, we're talking about mental health impacts. Uh, think about how when the air quality is poor, we're keeping kids indoors. And mm -hmm. so, you know, they don't get physical activity. In Minnesota, we only get so many, you know, good weather days. And so if you are not able to spend time outdoors, that really can impact your physical and mental health as well. And we know that some summer camps, some uh, daycare uh, facilities, they limited, restricted outdoor activity for the children. That was the right move, sounds like. Right. Yes. But then we also need to be thinking about, you know, where are these children going? Because we can't think about this in a piecemeal fashion. We have to mm -hmm. think more globally and especially if wildfires are going to become more common, we need to plan as a community, as a city, as a state, what are we going to do to keep um, our communities safe? So when we talk about uh, air quality, doctor, what are the actual pollutants uh, that doctors are concerned about? Um, and, you know, I heard Jamie use this term, which I've seen a lot when I've been reading about this particulate matter. Uh, what is that? What is in the air that we need to know about and be concerned about? Yeah, so wildfire smoke is just a toxic chemical cocktail. There's a lot of <laughs> uh, pollutants in there. So yes, one of them is PM 2.5 or particulate matter that's 2.5 microns in size. So if you want to think about it, it's like you take a human hair and how thin that is, and it's mm -hmm. about a 15th of uh, diameter of a human hair. So it's really, really tiny. Um, so when we breathe in, it gets into our lungs. And of course, our lungs have a good blood supply to take the oxygen all across our body, right? So that's where the uh, particulates also enter your bloodstream, and they can go to any organ in your body. And we know from research, because Particulate matter is also what's released when you burn fossil fuels like coal, you know, um, natural gas or oil. So we've had research on this from uh, all over the world for several decades. And we know that particulates can really impact your uh, heart health. Um, they can cause heart attacks, uh, strokes, uh, cause uh, trouble with, you know, even lung cancer has been related to uh, air pollution. So I think many of us, when we think about uh, breathing in polluted air, we are thinking about, oh, oh, this is bad for my lungs, but uh, it puts us at an increased risk of strokes and heart attacks as well. Right. Okay. Uh, one more term uh, I read uh, that comes up a lot when you're re researching this, uh, conversations about the ozone um, and, and what problems uh, are created when we breathe 
breathe breathe it in. Right. I think most people know ozone from the ozone layer, which is the good ozone that's uh, mm-hmm. higher up and protecting us. But the ozone that we talk about when it comes to air pollution is uh, ground level ozone. So uh, when it's really hot out and, you know, with climate change, we are predicted to see more extreme heat, um, air stagnates. And so what we're seeing is that, you know, pollution that comes out from tailpipes and from buildings, all of these pollutants react in the air and you they form ground level ozone. And that is really bad for our lung health. So that can trigger, you know, asthma attacks. And once again, we know from research and I know from experience uh, taking care of patients that when it's really hot, we um, ha- we see a rise in calls for ambulances for asthma attacks and more ER visits and hospital admissions as well. Jamie, in the introduction, um, I stated that the air quality played a role in your decision to leave California. Um, tell us more about that move to Minnesota. What, what were you talking about in your home? Yeah, um, well, lived in my family and I lived in um, Northern California for, for many years um, with our two young kids. And wildfires there, you know, have always been, you know, somewhat of a, you know, just something that, that Californians tend to live with. But it's started to kind of take a turn and get more and more extreme. Um, We started talking about wildfire seasons, which we hadn't really talked about before. We experienced, um, you know, months on end of poor air quality. Um, And, you know, I work on climate change for a living. I work with, um, you know, with climate scientists. And I knew that so far the world has not done what needs to be done to reduce our, our greenhouse gas emissions that are leading to kind of the, this planetary instability that is causing, um, you know, more sort of uncontainable wildfires uh, caused by droughts. And so, you know, I just, we didn't see the situation in California um, improving in the short term. And we were lucky, privileged enough to be able to have the ability to move. And, you know, I'm sure living in Minnesota, you've heard you know, people talk about this area or, you know, especially up in up in Duluth as like, you know, is it is it a climate safe haven? Is it a place where people could move and somehow be protected from from climate change? Um, And at the time, you know, I think this was three years ago, we were sort of thinking, well, let's you know, let's let's try it out. Maybe at least it'll have better air quality um, and, you know, than than the Bay Area. And lo and behold, our very first summer here, we had again Canadian wildfires that that led us to have um, you know hazardous air quality in our, our very first summer, and so you know I think the the the, the take home message for me and for for my family was really there is no getting away from climate change. There is no adapting to climate change or its impacts unless and until we address the root cause of what is causing climate change. Um, and so that's sort of, for me, the, the message that the, that the planet, you know, was sending us after we attempted to sort of move away from from wildfire smoke impacts and then feel it feel it here um, just just as much as we as we did back in California. Jamie, how old are, are your children? Uh, they're now six and eight. OK. And how do they talk about this or what's their awareness of it? Well, you know, I think I think it's sort of becoming part of how we, you know, part of a, a new normal. I mean, we will talk about in the morning. What is the AQI today? What is the air quality like outside? Are we going to be able to go outside for recess? You know, again, summer camps being canceled or adjusted, or soccer games being 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 canceled. 
So I think it's becoming very sadly um, part of part of, you know, being alive on Earth today um, for for more and more people um, as we start to see the the impacts um, in more and more places. Mm, Mommy, what's the AQI? That's the new norm. Um, Dr. Supra uh, Suropanini, um, does it appear to you that people are paying more attention to, to air quality now? Uh, are you hearing more questions about it from patient, patients or just, you know, in your daily life with your neighbors and friends? Yeah, I think once we were able to actually, you know, see and smell the pollution, mm-hmm. uh, there's an, definitely an increase in awareness of air quality. And uh, to me, what's notable is that, you know, there's several places, even in Minnesota, where air quality is is poor, uh, even without wildfire smoke, right? And we know that uh, communities of color are experiencing this from industrial pollution. And like Jamie was saying, I do think that we need to um, take this as a wake-up call, really, to address a root cause, which is burning fossil fuels, because basically, at this point, our health is at the mercy of fossil fuels. Uh, I want to make sure our listeners know we are taking your phone calls. Uh, What questions do you have for our guests as we talk about poor air quality? And I, I want to hear your stories. Uh, you remember those days back in June when you walked out the door, the, the sun was looking all red and it was hazy and smoky outside. The air quality was bad. What were you doing during those days? Were you on a walk? Were you bike riding? Were you working? Because you work outside. How did the smoke affect your health, both physically and mentally? And what changes did you make in your routines to cope with it? Call us this hour at 651 651- Two two seven six thousand. Again, call six five one two two seven six thousand, or you can call eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Let's talk about it. Um, so we talked, uh, Doctor Super Surapanini. We talked about um, some summer camps canceled the outdoor activities uh, during those days when the air quality alerts were there. Um, um, they went into the red zone. Uh, what advice do you have for the next time we get an air quality alert in that orange or or red zone? Uh, what How should we be thinking about it? Because it's going to happen again. Unfortunately, yes. And I think we need to be prepared. Um, So the air quality index kind of tells you to uh, limit activities based on your underlying medical conditions. So, you know, sensitive populations and healthy individuals. So the first thing we should be doing is get ourselves familiar with that AQI and sounds like many people already are. How do you find it? Where do you go? Um, So you can go to airnow.gov and there's also an app and most of the weather apps these days also have an air quality um, incorporated into it. So the first thing would be, you know, limit time outdoors. Um, The second thing is when we do go outdoors, make sure that we're wearing a well-fitting N95 mask. Oh, those boxes of N95 masks. Oh, They're I back know. out. <laughs> I know. That we and wore during the COVID, height of the COVID-19 right. pandemic. And it is difficult to wear them, you know, especially for if, if it's really hot out. Warm. And um, if you're an outdoor worker or just trying to do some uh, physical activity, it is definitely difficult to wear, but that is the best protection it that works. we have. It works. Yeah. Um, so then the other uh, main thing that you could do is create a clean air room in your house. So what that means is at least one room where you're able to seal off the windows well so that the outdoor smoke doesn't get in. Mm -hmm. And then um, if you have an air conditioner, you know, uh, make sure that that has a HEPA filter on it. Or if you don't have access to um, a portable air filter, because those things can be expensive, um, you can also purchase something called a um, like an air filter that you can attach to the back of a 
uh, portable fan. And what you're looking for when you uh, pick that up is a rating of MERV 13 or higher so that that can filter out all of those particulate matter. And make sure that room doesn't have any other sources of smoke. So, you know, no cigarette smoking, no incense or candles and no gas stove. So not your kitchen. So what do I do with in, in the clean air room? I make a point of spending as much time as possible in there? Right. During yeah. the days when it's really bad? Right. So when you are in your house, you make sure that you spend more time in the clean air room. Uh, What are your thoughts about this, Jamie? Are are these the types of things you hear that people are doing or that you do when the air quality is really poor? Yes. And, you know, I think the other side of this is how can we stop contributing to what is causing this Mm -hmm. as well? So, I mean, every bit of CO2 that we human beings put into the atmosphere every day contributes to global warming. And global warming is what is leading us to have the need to have this conversation in the first place. So how mm-hmm. can we reduce the, you know, the, the activities that human beings are doing every day? So less car trips, um, you know, reducing our, our flying if, 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 we're, if we're flying, looking at how we can make our homes more sustainable by looking at how we get power, how we power our homes. There are things that we can each do. And I know that sounds um, it sounds small. It sounds like a drop in the bucket. And it is in a lot of ways, but every bit matters. And the more that we are, you know, we can talk about this with our neighbors, aggregate our, you know, our communities to bring our communities together around solutions. You know, we know what is causing this problem. And so as we're taking these adaptation measures to keep ourselves safe, we can also be doing the work to, you know, to, to address the, the root cause of this problem. Um, so, you know, it's it's hard and it's, you know, not fun. And we nobody wants to think about being in a clear, clean air room of their house. I know. The it doesn't sound fun. It we, sounds very restrictive right. and, and not fun. <laughs> right. It sounds like a sci-fi movie. But, right. you know, but it's we, we know what the solutions are. We know mm. what we can do to help address this problem so that we this isn't our future. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just really encourage as we're thinking about how we adapt, you know, to to live with this, we also think about what we're doing to help move toward a world mm-hmm. um, that is that is more stable. We're talking about poor air quality, what it does to our health and how do we address it? I'm talking with a medical doctor and a climate activist and taking your phone calls. Uh, I want to know your questions, your stories about this. Uh, how are you coping with this, both physically and mentally, when the air quality is really bad? Call us at 65 65- one two two seven six thousand or eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Let's take a phone call from a listener now uh, in Minneapolis. Cameron is on the phone. Good morning, Cameron. Thank you for calling in. What did you want to share or ask? Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Um, so I've been a climate activist now for about fifteen years. Um, I've been involved in campaigns to save the old growth forest on the west coast, and I've also been a lot involved in a lot of anti-pipeline fights, such as Dakota Access Pipeline and Line 3 here in the state. And, you know, I can't help but feel, I also have asthma, so this smoke has been, I mean, literally killing me. And, you know, it, I have asthma attacks nearly every day from it. Um, I guess you know, my comment is that after all this time in 15 years, it feels like we've made no progress. I guess, um, you know, we, we've put so much energy in, into, you know, these struggles and policy just keeps trampling us over and over again and things keep getting worse. Um, so, I mean, I guess, you know, I've been kind of listening and hoping, you know, 
hoping to get a little hope out of this conversation. But um, yeah, any suggestions on how to how to focus on right. the positive? Right, and and uh, someone with asthma, um, and um, I don't know, uh, Jamie. What would you you say to Cameron and what uh, what he's describing uh, a feeling of hopelessness? Yeah, Cameron, I mean, I definitely have days like that myself. And certainly those poor air quality days, I think, um, affect a lot of us and help a lot of us feel the the urgency. And my hope is that they're bringing more and more people um, into this, you know, into this fight that that we're in. um, And more and more people become aware of that we are, you know, experiencing the the impacts of climate change today. Um, I think there is sort of a a process of being radicalized to it. And, you know, hopefully some of these, you know, a, a one positive effect of these poor air quality date, quality days is to help bring more awareness to people and help, you know, bring more of us on the side of, of moving towards solutions. Um, and I do think there is, you know, renewable energy is, you know, con- the price, you know, deployment continues to, to accelerate and the prices continue to drop. And that's great news. Um, but nothing is happening fast enough, but there is, you know, there, are, there is positive momentum on the side of, of climate solutions. And I think public opinion is, is swayed now as well. Um, but now it's a matter of, you know, acting as quickly and as, you know, and as boldly as, as we possibly can. Dr. Sura Panini, what do you say to patients who um, have asthma or, or, or simply are, are suffering because of poor air, uh, air quality to encourage them? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, the measures that we discussed at uh, staying uh, indoors as well as the clean air room are typically the guidance that I give. But I did also want to address um, the comment about, you know, how policy is not moving quickly enough. As a health professional, I've, you know, worked through health professionals for healthy climate um, to, you uh, you know, work against line three, because we know that, you know, as we are in the climate crisis, right, we're living through the impacts. And it's just incomprehensible to me how, you know, we are continuing to build new fossil fuel infrastructure, even now in our state, like there's a a great river energy who's, uh, we're trying to switch to diesel energy. So um, I think what we really need to do one concrete thing, um, people who are concerned about wildfire smoke, like your kids are being impacted, you are being impacted, I would say reach out to your legislators. You know, you really need to make your voice heard um, and say that we are living through these impacts. What are we doing to decarbonize, you know? And we really need to work in communities. So whether that's your kid's school, maybe we transition to electric school buses, you know, maybe it's your company and you're uh, coming together to move away uh, from fossil fuels. We re- Unless we address the root problem, I don't think we're going to Uh, see a change. Cameron, who called in, said that he has asthma. And I have this in my notes. I want to share this information and make sure people know about it. Uh, The city of Minneapolis um, has an asthma program. Um, And if you have someone age 21 or younger with asthma in your family, that you can get access to free filters, um, air filters and air purifiers. Is, is that, could you speak about that? Yeah, Dr. yeah. You can ask for a free home inspection and uh, they will come and make sure that their allergens, they assess for anything that might be triggering your asthma and can also provide free products. And then is it safe to assume that maybe other counties throughout the state the state might have that other like health departments or should you call your city or county and ask, are there air filters or, or, or air purifiers, some kind of program to help people? 
I would say so. My knowledge is limited to the city of Minneapolis, right. so I would say that reaching out to your county or um, state health department would be helpful. All right, let's take another phone call as we talk about air quality, poor air quality, how it affects our health. Uh, give us a call at 651-227-6000 or 800-242-2828 as I talk with a doctor and a climate activist. In Rochester, Robert's calling in. Good morning, Robert. Good morning. Hi. Uh, hey, yeah, I was calling in. I was a wildland firefighter for 44 years. Um, and obviously, we, you know, we don't wear respirators or anything when you're out there. Um, and the the points, I also serve now on a couple of commissions um, that are dealing with wildfire mitigation and include smoke. There's two points I, I want to make out real fast is one is we talk about uh, fire seasons. That terminology is pretty much going away. And we're now talking about fire years. Um, because mm-hmm. just the size of the fires, the impacts that we're having at the different times of year. Um, the other one that I want to cover real quick is the forests have gotten really out of balance. Uh, the 10 o'clock rule for a lot of years, to four or five decades, to put out any forest fires. And now there's a great buildup of fuel, as I think most of your listeners probably are aware of. And that the different states, tribal and federal, are trying to bring that back into balance. We're moving towards a lot of what they call good fire now, which is when we'll be they'll be burning. I shouldn't say we retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll be burning in the spring and fall a lot more prescribed fire. Those and that controlled is burns the, in the forest. The, yeah, controlled. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that, yeah. They have a prescription where the air quality has to be at a certain point for the air shed to take mm-hmm. the smoke away from cities and things like that. Mm-hmm. On the other side, though, um, and, it's, and it's fine, is there's also tribal cultural burning, which is not regulated so much by the EPA because, of course, the, the tribes are nations upon themselves. So you, I think you're going to see a lot more of that, but in probably over the next two decades. Once that's done, though, I think the, the, their trajectory will take us to a lot less smoke. But I think we're going to have to live with a lot more smoke for the next 20 years to get mm-hmm. to less smoke. Thank you. That's Robert in Rochester. Anything uh, that you would say to what he's describing, Jamie? Yeah, well, I mean, number one, just I'm grateful for, for his service and firefighters across the, yes. the country. But I, I would also add, um, you know, forests are also really important um, Absorb they, they absorb a lot of the carbon that we you know that 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 is causing climate change. Mm-hmm. So right now today, um, a, 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 on a global scale, forests and oceans and peat bogs and things like that absorb about thirty percent of the global greenhouse gas emissions that we're putting into the atmosphere every year. So they're doing a really important service of you know lessening the the effects of climate change. And so as those forests burn, those, that, 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 that CO2 that the, those trees had been absorbing in their roots and stems is going back up into the atmosphere. And that then is leading to this cycle of then more, carb, you know, more CO2 in the atmosphere, more global warming, more of this planetary instability. And so we need to you know, figure out a way, or, a way to um, be able to conserve and restore forests so that they continue can continue to do that work of absorbing carbon because it's really it's a really really important service that they provide in keeping sort of the balance of of mm-hmm. um, of, of our global greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so in addition to being able to control f- fires through controlled burns, I think we also need to figure out ways to be able to conserve those forests so they can continue to do that important work for us.
Mm. Yes. I want to talk more about how air quality is measured with one of the people who issues those air quality alerts for the state of Minnesota. On the line right now, we have Matt Terrelson. Matt is a meteorologist and supervisor at the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, and he oversees the team that releases those daily air quality forecasts and alerts. Good morning, Matt. Good morning. Hi. Thank you for taking time out of your day. Um, mm-hmm. When when did the state begin monitoring air quality and providing information to the public about it? So we had regulatory monitors through EPA back in the 80s and 90s. But in 2008 is when the official air quality forecast began, uh, first through a vendor. And then in 2016, uh, Minnesota Pollution Control Agency took over the entire program, um, along with the alerts that we've been doing since 2010. Mm. Now, you're a meteorologist. Um, what's your take on, on why we had such terrible air in June uh, from a fire that was so far away? How have you described this to people about what was going on in June? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, climate change definitely sets kind of the background of what's going on. But really what drives the impacts of air quality is meteorology. Um, so in this case, uh, this year, we've been just frankly unfortunate. Uh, the weather has not been very favorable for us uh, for, for rainfall, for one, but also um, we've had persistent cold fronts and high pressure systems that have come through and kind of pushed that smoke down from way up in the atmosphere down to the surface where we live. And so that's that's really where we come in and what we look at. Um, you know, smokes even today is, is around up way up in the atmosphere from uh, the fires in Canada, but it comes down to the meteorology and how much of that will get transported down to the surface. And then our job is then to forecast that concentration uh, and then send out air quality alerts if it meets the criteria. So um, people now talking more frequently and more comfortably about air quality index. Uh, so Matt, what is the air quality index? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. So the air quality index or AQI uh, is developed by the EPA, and it basically is a standardized measure of both the fine particulates that were already mentioned, the PM25, uh, and ground-level ozone. And both of those pollutants are in, in different measures, uh, but because it can be confusing to people, it gets standardized to a simple number. So anything above 100 is considered unhealthy for sensitive groups, and that's where we trigger our air quality alerts uh, for those values and higher. And so that's the AQI category of orange or red, which is unhealthy for all, purple, which is very unhealthy, or maroon, which is hazardous. Now, your office issued 24 air quality alerts so far this year since January, I have in my notes. So that's more than usual. Um, that, yeah. And yep. so what do, you, what do you make of that and how that's being perceived by, by people, you know, in the public? Are, are folks, you know, sharing that they're concerned or, or what are you hearing? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that the joke we've had kind of internally is that, you know, people kind of forget we exist for most of the year and they'll issue an air quality alert and they'll kind of be this big spike of traffic on our website and interest. Um, but this year, it has been a consistent, very engaged group of people who have been paying attention, who have been asking mm-hmm. us questions, who have been reaching out. And it, it's unfortunate that this is the situation that has spurred that. Um, but yeah, there has been a very marked turn um, in terms of, of how people look at air quality, how people interact with us, the, the questions and everything you get either uh, via email or phone call or through social media have been much more engaged and, and pointed and um, you know, even my friends, you know, anecdotally, like I've had friends that have kids in elementary school and stuff, and all of a sudden they're very tuned in and they didn't even really kind of put two and two together that this is what I do <laughs> for a job. And so it's been, it's been, like I said, it's an unfortunate set of circumstances, but mm-hmm. there really has been a marked turnaround to how people look at air quality, 
um, and even understand what the air quality index is and everything. And Matt, do you, you know, you have some stories you could share about these interactions, these emails or exchanges you're having with people who are asking you questions or maybe telling you stories about what's going on in their homes? Yeah, yeah. We get a lot of, of interest about what can people do to protect themselves, um, how we craft forecasts, you know, what are we looking for? We'll get some people that will, you know, want to know, like, their vacations coming up to the boundary waters in a month. And it's mm-hmm. kind of one of those, like, I would love to help you, but our forecasting technology really is only good until five to seven days. Um, and even then, sometimes that's a stretch. And so we get a lot of that. Uh, we also get a lot of, of interest about, you know, what these different levels mean, what the level of exposure is. And so we've been doing a lot of work behind the scenes, uh, working with the Minnesota Department of Health to really kind of refine our messaging and the, the statements we put into our air quality alerts and our press releases that go out and everything have been vetted through them. And so we've really been working to kind of hone that, um, you know, and also make sure that we're communicating it effectively because, you know, the best weather forecast in the world doesn't mean anything if you don't articulate it correctly and people receive it in the way it's intended. And so that's something we're always working on. And again, it's not just us. We're working with a lot of different subject matter experts to kind of put that together. Mm. And um, I, I, I have in my notes here that there's a company that sells outdoor air sensors uh, that that people can purchase. Um, Purple Air, uh, is that something you want folks to know about? Yeah, yeah. So um, not just, you know, in air quality, but across meteorology, really, there's been a a big uptake in in what we call citizen science. So people who have rain gauges in their backyard or thermometers and report that information to us or the National Weather Service. Uh, or the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. But uh, purple air sensors are, are relatively inexpensive, and you can install them in your backyard. They they update every minute. Um, I know people like them because they can see what the air quality is at their specific location. Uh, we use them because our regulatory monitors, so the, the big ones, the, the big expensive ones, update every hour, but those purple airs are every minute. So we can take that information and combine it with what we're seeing on satellite or what we're seeing on radar or what we're seeing in the, the high-resolution models and basically build out a mental model. So it's really handy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can't control where people put them, so there's always kind of a grain of salt, like, you know, is this buy some exhaust or something like that? That's why it's reading high. But they're very, they're very invaluable. We don't use them in a regulatory setting, but they are a great source of information, especially when we have smoke moving from north to south across Minnesota. Are, there, are they expensive, and is there help to pay for them if you want? Uh, they're about 250 and uh, part of the legislative session this past year will be that community groups, counties, and cities will be able to apply for grants. Um, that's still being worked out and, and part mm-hmm. of another eight part of the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency. But yeah, they're, they're relatively inexpensive, especially compared to the regulatory grade ones that we have. Um, and there, there has been a lot of movement towards people installing them. And I understand you're a dog owner. And so uh, what do you want to share about how pets handle air pollution, what you've seen and, and how you handled this in June with your own dog? Yeah, yeah. So until this year, um, our highest, our, our largest interaction we've had with a post was actually about how air quality impacts your pets. And so um, we found that interesting, but it turns out that uh, small animals like dogs, cats can be impacted by air quality as well. I have a an older elderly dog who loves her walks, but Every time that's smoky out, she's hacking mm. away and things. And so there is an impact to that as well. It's not mm-hmm. just people. Um, again, the smaller the body is, the higher the impact for the for animals. Mm. All right. That's uh, Matt Tarleton, a meteorologist and supervisor at the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, overseeing the team that releases those daily air quality forecasts and the air quality alerts. Matt, thank you uh, to you and your team for the work that you're doing. We appreciate you. Mm.
Thank you for having me. All right. We're talking about poor air quality, and I'm taking your phone calls. Let's get some more listeners on the air in Golden Valley. Leslie is on the line. Good morning, Leslie. Thank you for waiting. And what do you want to tell us about those awful days in June? No, good morning. I have uh, three things I want to say. First, uh, that awful day in June, I had happened to decide to go out for a bike ride. I like to bike. I was going to go about 20 miles, but I got out to mile five, and I just said, this is ridiculous. I have to turn around because I cannot breathe. I'm coughing. It's terrible. So I had to turn around and go home, and then, then I uh, started looking at the air quality and realizing that there are many days that I could not go out and do what I like to do in the summer, which is exercise outside. Um, so that's one thing. And then I also, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of frustration and concern that we're not changing things fast enough. And I totally agree with that. Um, I did learn about an app called Climate Action Now that you can download um, from your from the app store. And it will give you five things a day you can do to help um Mm-hmm. With uh, promoting the right behavior, writing your congressperson, writing letters to big companies and other organizations that will help let them know that as a person, you care about the climate, you care about our carbon footprint, and you would like to see changes happen. Right. So having these conversations, so- that, that can move us toward um, some actions. Thank you, Leslie. Uh, let's take another call from a listener in Invergrove Heights. Uh, another Leslie on the line. Good morning, Leslie. Good morning. I'm so grateful that you're doing this program. It's it's essential that everybody understand what's going on. Um, I'm a longtime climate activist, and I felt despair over what's happening. Um, the way I have coped is by staying indoors and keeping mm-hmm. my little granddaughter indoors, who's one year old. Um, and I cope by having hope. You have to have hope. No matter how bad things get, you have to have hope that things can change. Um, and it, interesting is that, that your expert said the smaller the body, the worse the impact. And yes, so I think children. about my, mm-hmm. my grandchild. Um, but the, the main thing is, unless the banks, what we need to do is get the banks to stop funding fossil fuel projects. Unless that, unless we, they stop, nothing will change in terms of climate change. It's all it's it's all interconnected, and it's a cascading effect. And it starts with fossil fuels. and And I'd like to know what your guests, yeah, um, think Leslie, about that. Uh, so Leslie, there in Invergrove Heights, uh, Jamie. Uh, in your introduction, I, I said that you are um, the director of Drawdown Labs, which is a national nonprofit that works with corporations on how to take action on climate change. and And what can you tell us about what's happening? Leslie is absolutely right. The the financing piece of this is critical. So right now, a lot of money, big banks and, you know, investments are going to continuing to, you know, to to financing fossil fuels. The faster we can put pressure on that system to move that money away from fossil fuels toward climate solutions, the better. And so we can, you know, we we all bank with, you know, we all bank with, I'm sure, with um, some of the some of those big banks that are financing fossil fuels, we can look at how we can each shift our individual banks. Um, but then also corporations, as, as Leslie said, are, are, you know, have a, have a lot, a lot of money invested in that. So how can we pressure the places where we work? How can employees 
ask their businesses where they're where they're where, where they keep their you know their corporate cash. Where is our four hundred one k? You know, we're looking at our four hundred one k's, our savings plans, um, our you know our employee benefits. All of those things are part of this system that right now is continuing to pump money into the fossil fuel infrastructure and looking at ways that each of us can try to influence that system and to divert those funds from fossil fuels to to climate solutions is really key. Jamie, I, I find it interesting. A number of our, our listeners who've called in have identified themselves as climate activists. Um, what does that mean when someone says that? That's a fantastic question. I, it probably means something different to all of us, but um, you know, I think it probably means looking at this from concentric circles, right? Taking action in our own lives is as a, you know, as as the immediate circle, then looking at how we can influence our community and support our communities in taking action. And that includes, that includes, you know, writing legislators, as Dr. Sarepanini said, you know, encouraging our legislators to take action, getting involved politically or in our city councils, and then more broadly looking at, you know, the places where we work, um, how can we influence our, our businesses and, um, and then, as an, an earlier caller said, you know, how can we then look at, act, you know, active, more activism? Um, so pipelines and looking at how we can express through our, you know, through our bodies or, you know, showing up in, in these fights, um, expressing our, you know, mm-hmm. our, our passion for this. So I think it probably looks different for, for different people, um, but it's one big, big ten and lots of different, lots of different things that, that, we, that we all care about as human beings, including our health, um, are part of that big tent. And uh, Dr. Surapanini, your thoughts on what corporations could be doing? Yeah, I think finance is a really big part of this. You know, uh, to me, at the end of the day, this climate crisis that we're living through is uh, the result of greed of the fossil fuel industry. They are raking in record profits while we are dealing with the costs which is health impacts that all of us are suffering, and especially uh, low-income communities and communities of color who live next to fossil fuel infrastructure are suffering. So, um, you know, we need to be making sure that we cut off that money pipeline. And actually, there's an organization called Stop the Money Pipeline that people can uh, sign up and uh, do actions along with them. Uh, I would say get involved locally with your, you know, environmental organizations. There are many of them in the Twin Cities and the state of Minnesota. Within your institutions, you can ask your, um, you know, finance department to divest from funding fossil fuels, like Jamie mentioned as well. Earlier in the program, you, you said that there are certain places in Minnesota where we know the air pollution is consistently uh, a problem. Uh, can you give me an example of where we know that this is really problematic regularly? Yeah, definitely. So recently, the medical school organized a tour uh, along with the members of community members for environmental justice. So they were leading the tour. Um, and we went to North Minneapolis. And this was an education uh, from community members to medical students about um, the environmental injustice. So North Minneapolis uh, residents, you know, way before we experienced wildfire smoke and we're talking about air quality, they're living every day through uh, air pollution from industries as well as urban heat islands. Right. And part of that is not as many trees, right? That's part of it as well. Absolutely. Actually, we know from research that uh, historically redlined neighborhoods are more likely to have... um, urban heat islands, less likely to have urban greenery, as well as um, more likely to have oil and gas wells as well. 
learned so much about poor air quality and air pollution this hour. I want to thank our guests as we are out of time. We've been talking with Dr. Lalita Surapaneni, an assistant professor of internal medicine at the University of Minnesota Medical School, who also, also sees patients uh, with M-Health Fairview. And in Duluth, Jamie Beck Alexander, a climate activist and the founding director of Drawdown Labs, which is an organization that works with corporations on how to take action on climate change. And earlier we heard from our friend at the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, Matt Carlson, a meteorologist and supervisor, issuing those air quality alerts. Thank you to all our guests. Thank you to our listeners for sharing your stories and your questions. This conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.